President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. If you don't understand the destruction of Planned Parenthood uh, offices, and you don't understand the wall that we're going to build on the southern border of the United States, you haven't read the book The Birth Dearth by Ben Wattenberg. Ben Wattenberg was a brilliant Jewish man who was a member of the American Enterprise Institute. And he wrote a book, the first paragraph of which says, the main problem confronting the United States today is there aren't enough white babies being born in this country. He was an advisor to presidents of the United States. He wrote the book in 1987. He says, there are, if we don't change this and change it rapidly, white people will lose their numerical majority in this country and this will no longer be a white man's land. Now, I'm not misrepresenting this. I'm telling you exactly. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. USA is not These a real place. These comments might be strong, but it's how I genuinely feel. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world. All those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control. But they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your goddamn religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what USA is not These a real place. comments might be strong, but it's how I genuinely feel. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. Reese, I want to start with you. Are Democrats truly prepared for this fight? No. However, I want to start by saying fuck the Supreme Court and fuck Republicans and fuck Republican voters. Because I know we're going to get into democratic strategy and their lack of preparation and even the lack of zeal they seem to have to face this challenge and uh, mobilize the voters and shake people out of their slumber, their apathy, their disillusionment, their whatever the hell, and really meet the moment. But the people that brought us here are Republicans who have been relentless and disciplined for five decades to get us to the point where women are no longer full citizens in this country, point blank in the period. And the reason why this is just getting a shoulder shrug across much of the nation is because this country doesn't give a damn about women. They don't give a damn about babies. They don't give a damn about children. 
And what people don't understand is whether or not you're going to have an abortion or whether or not you feel like I'm going to have an abortion or whatever, this opens up the door for so many things in terms of the right to privacy, in terms of if your homegirl is talking to you about her abortion, if you have a miscarriage, if you're going through in vitro fertilization, look at Texas where they have bounties on people. So if you're an Uber driver or a Lyft driver, this opens up the door for so many things. And guess what? Even if you didn't have an abortion, prove it. Because the, the presumption of some MAGA nurse or some racist doctor or whoever is going to be that you did something to cause harm to your unborn baby if you have a miscarriage, if you end up in the hospital and you seek medical care. And what we have right now is we have it where women do not have the right to free movement around the country to make decisions for their bodies. That's why you have a state like California and uh, Massachusetts and Maine that are now safe havens and saying they won't cooperate with uh, with investigations, but we know the the deference that different states and and attorneys generals and and people have for institutions. So what happens when even those executive orders or laws get overturned by this right wing spring extremist uh, Supreme Court? So I, I need people to wake the fuck up. I feel like I want to be like like Bernie uh, Mac in. Um, had to say to just go around slapping the shit out of people because I don't think that people are really recognizing the severity of this moment and it's 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 a nightmare and I I, I just I just need more energy out of people I need people to really wake the hell up because all right I'm Derek Moultrie back for another episode of Black Equity Podcast I want to thank all the longtime listeners first time listeners I want to thank everybody for being here uh, I will be sipping on my drink and I will be uh, taking snacks throughout. So if you hear those, those will not be edited out. I'll let everybody know that beforehand. And we have quite the topic today. We have quite, quite, quite the topic. Over the weekend, or of course, on a Friday, the decision comes down to overturn Roe versus Wade. The Supreme Court makes makes this decision, and it sets off quite the outrage. And of course, people were sending me messages, wondering what I was going to say or what my thoughts were, or you know anything, right? And like normal, I sat back. And I let everything develop. I let everything develop because I knew. I knew something was up. I couldn't quite put my hands on it. Okay, so here's a little bit of background on me. Growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to go to magic shows. I used to go to the magic show and I would catch the magician. I would try to catch the magician. I would try to figure out what the trick was. Was it really magic or was there something else there? Was there something else that we needed to know? And so I sat back watching all of this. But I couldn't help in my mind but think, there's a magic trick going on. And I have to figure it out. I have to figure out what's the trick. Now, 
I say this knowing that for a lot of people, this is a very sensitive topic for men and women. And I want you to know that my commentary today is in no way to offend women, men, or anyone on this particular issue, but to step away from the issue and look at what I see as maybe the bigger picture or not even bigger, we'll just say a different picture. Okay. I do, I'm not against men. I am not against women who stand for Roe versus Wade. I'm not for or against anything. I am simply giving commentary on what I believe impacts the Black community and overall impacts Black equity. I'll put that there. That being said, I know people are sensitive about this topic. That being said, that's when the magic trick works the best. The magic trick works the best if we can evoke emotion into it so then we can uh, get you to look over here so you won't look over there. So why am I saying all that, right? You know I have to set the foundation. Oh, I'll be honest with you, the foundation has already been set. There's not much more I need to set. But just so you know that there's a lot of emotions in this, here, let me show you. For those watching on Spotify. This decision must not... For those watching on Spotify, here are the protests around the country after this decision comes down. Here's the emotion. Here in California, we're doing everything we can to ensure that access it will be, um, will have access for patients without barriers. The answer to a crisis pregnancy is to care for the mother and to care for the baby in the womb. The womb is now in Oklahoma, the safest place for a child to be. That is the current outrage going on. That's just a snippet. Here, let's play a little bit more of the outrage. If you record podcasts and videos, we'll let the uh, commercial go through and we'll play this video about the protests. Versus Wade that women must have access to abortion across America. A decision totally reversed today. It is my profound honor to be the first president in history to attend the March for Life. As president, Donald Trump deliberately appointed three pro-life justices to the court, making today's ruling possible. He says God made the decision. In fact, it was six of the nine judges. By a vote of six to three, the court affirmed 
that the power to protect unborn life is returned to the people and their elected representatives. The people have won a victory. Jesus loves the little children. Anti-abortion activists view today's victory as merely a first step. They will now take their campaigns to every state which continues to allow terminations, trying to get abortion banned in the whole of the United States. Sarah Smith, BBC News, Washington. I'm just showing you the foundation here. For most episodes, the foundation is me showing you some type of analogy, right? For today's episode, there is no analogy. Well, at least not yet. The foundation needs no analogy. The outrage is the foundation. Physical proof from video that people are outraged in the streets because of this decision by the Supreme Court in the United States of America. Okay? That's the foundation. Now we can build. See how fast that was? See, when things happen, the foundation is set. And so where do we go from here? And how does this foundation get us to a magic trick? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the first step in a magic trick is understanding how it all works. Ladies and gentlemen, want to show you the second oldest trick in the history of sleight of hand. Second oldest trick in the history of sleight of hand. You've heard the phrase, the oldest trick in the book. This is not it. <laughs> Two. You know what the oldest trick in the book is? Pull my finger. <laughs> Seen that one before. This is known as the cups. The cups will be examined by the audience. Take a good look inside. Look for trapdoors, mirrors, secret compartments, sliding panels, gimmicks, wires, magnets, mirrors, a little picture of your mom. Anything at all? Can you put your finger through the bottom? No. Are you a nurse? Most people try it from the outside. <laughs> don't think I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Cups are identical, especially this one. Nearly twice as identical as this one. And anything you put poor place inside one of the cups is going to go through the other side because they maintain empty. Nothing stays inside the cup for very long, and you have to understand that some of these tricks are just for me. <laughs> Two inverted copper cups. Inverted is a word that means upside down. I'm not trying to be condescending. That word means to talk down to somebody. <laughs> Two inverted copper cups, two regulation soccer balls. <laughs> Foosball regulation. The whole point is keep your eye on the ball. Just like in any game, number one rule, keep your eye on the ball. If you do that, you'll miss nothing. Fine, I will for you, sir. Absolutely. All you're watching for is the ball to go. Where's your gift of prayer? No sleeves. When you grab it my hand, it's completely gone. Now, during this trip, I want you to let me know if you were able to tell how these items got to where they currently go. Can you tell the sleight of hand that is happening? Are you able to see it for yourself? If he didn't tell you that's what he was doing, 
Let's continue. Pragmatic. <laughs> Once they completely vanish, <coughs> they reappear under the cups because that's the basis of the game. No. Wait. Save your applause for later. <laughs> Not if I have to beg. <laughs> this one travels from there to there. This one travels from there to there, and they switch. <laughs> Seriously, you'll cheer for that one? <laughs> Davidson's an alcoholic town. <laughs> Lady about halfway up. Cup A, cup B. Choose a cup. O is not a cup. Cup A, cup B. Choose a cup. A it is. Going to vanish from A. Reappear over here, as you wish, as you wish. You don't need anything to make this work. Sometimes all you have to do is blow. This one goes. And when it goes, it goes straight away into the cup because that's where it belongs. No, please, just a little I'll show you what I'm not doing. I am not taking the ball under the table and putting it inside the cup from underneath. That would be cheating. While I will lie, I will not cheat. And you can believe that because that's true. <laughs> I am not taking the ball and dropping it in my pocket. I am not taking the ball and dropping it in my pocket. It's rare that I'll pick it up at all. I might pretend, but I'm only pretending. I never really pick the ball up off the table. It's the illusion of my hand moving that makes it look like the ball comes off the table, but I never... Am I going too fast? <laughs> this is the one that goes through. The other one you snap and you get them both. Fair enough? Let's play that part. Let's play that part again. It's the illusion that my hand is moving something that makes you think it's leaving the table. That makes it look like the ball comes off the table, but I never... Am I going too fast? <laughs> this is the one that goes through. The other one you snap and you get them both. Fair enough? Five, five. Maybe I didn't break it down enough for you. How many? What color? If I put them both away here, how many are under here? What color? Yellow, sorry. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Thought you were paying attention. It's okay. Show of hands, how many people saw me put the orange under the cup? How many people saw me put the orange under the cup? Hmm? No, no, no. The orange. The orange. I used to do this with three cups, so I've had to adjust. I'm sorry, that's the beginning. We call this sleight of hand. Well, what exactly is sleight of hand? And thank you to uh, this video. We'll put it in the show notes so that everybody is able to view it for themselves on their own time. What is sleight of hand? Sleight of hand refers to fine 
motor skills when used by performing artists in different art forms to entertain or manipulate. We'll read that again. Slide of hand refers to fine motor skills when used by performing artists in different art forms to entertain or manipulate. A cleverly executed trick of deception or deception. A conjuring trick requiring manual directory. Skill in conjuring tricks. Deception is sleight of hand cheating. These methods of cheating are usually performed by a card mechanic or card sharp and use of sleight of hand and card manipulation to switch cards and deceive other players at the table. Is it hard? Starting to learn sleight of hand can be pretty overwhelming and it can be hard to know where to start. There are thousands of different moves in magic. Some are hard, some are easy, some are knacky, some are self-working. Sleight of hand. Okay. Sleight of hand is what people use in order to manipulate the audience. And that's what that guy just did that we just watched. Sleight of hand, a practical manner. Look at it. In point, you can hide things with your hands to the point where it looks like there's nothing in them, but the next thing you know, there's something there. We call it sleight of hand. And as a kid, I would go watch the magic shows. And some of my favorite ones were the sleight of hand magic shows. And I got really good at it. I got really good. Not at doing the trick. See, I've never been big on, yeah, we tricked this person. I've never been, I never wanted to confuse the audience or trick anyone or be a trickster. I wanted to get good at finding out who the tricksters are, finding out who are there to confuse us. I was really good at it. And I still am. But who would have known? Who would have known that skill set would then be used during a Roe versus Wade situation? Because see, the key to sleight of hand is to get the audience to look somewhere else if we can get the audience to look this way i can do just a little like that split second i can do a lot right over here it just takes a split second hmm and you know what sleight of hand reminds me of sleight of hand reminds me of this. It reminds me of the three branches of government. It's almost like, in a weird way, look, it's almost like each one of these, you have the U.S. Capitol, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branch. And if you put them on a table, it's almost like having those uh, those, uh, canisters that the balls ran having three of them, right? Here's one canister, here's another canister, here's another canister, and we can just move them around and sh- ship and shake them. And if you're not paying attention, you won't know where the soccer ball is. You won't know where the tennis ball is. 
You won't know where it is. So everybody during this Roe versus Wade is upset at this court. (laughs) Right? See where that arrow is? It says judicial. And that's where the Supreme Court is, federal and state courts. So everybody's looking over here. And the outrage is all happening over here. The Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, we're going to take them down. We're going to take down the Supreme Court. And what if I told you there's a sleight of hand going on here? (laughs) There is a sleight of hand at work. There's a magic trick at work. Let's look at it. The Supreme Court, the judicial branch, how do they become the Supreme Court? Hmm. And when the Supreme Court decides something, does it, is that it? Hmm. Let's take a look. This video is from the leak a few weeks ago, a few months ago, back in May. We're now in June. Today is June 27th. So a month and a half ago, there was a supposed leak. And actually, we talked about it on our first episode of this season. Actually, the day of the first episode that we were recorded, a leak had just came out and we hadn't had all the information yet. This video came out during the time of the leak, and here's what they had to say. Earlier, we broke down the Supreme Court's leaked abortion ruling in the documents, but would this overruling end with SCOTUS? Ariane Daytel verifies what actions that Congress could take. On May 2nd, a draft opinion from the Supreme Court was leaked. It suggested the court would overturn both Roe v. Wade, which has granted the right to an abortion under the 14th Amendment for nearly five decades, and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, a 1992 ruling that upheld the federally protected right to an abortion. But this is just a draft. In a statement, the court said it does not represent a final decision on the matter, which is expected this summer. Nevertheless, some people on social media have speculated what U.S. lawmakers could do to ensure abortion rights were federally protected. So let's verify. Can Congress pass a law that supersedes a Supreme Court ruling? Our sources are the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. Supreme Court, Professor Casey Bergen, Director of the Legislative Affairs Program at George Washington University, and the Women's Health Protection Act. The answer is yes. Congress could pass a law that would supersede a Supreme Court ruling. But that law could later be struck down by the Supreme Court. In fact, lawmakers have already introduced the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify Roe v. Wade, legally affirming a pregnant person's right to an abortion. In September 2021, the bill was passed in the House. And on February 28th, the Senate voted against bringing the bill to the floor. But if Congress passes a federal law that codifies a person's right to an abortion, it would supersede this potential Supreme Court decision. However, according to Professor Casey Burgett, director of the Legislative Affairs Program at George Washington University, it's not bulletproof. With your Verify, I'm Ariane Daytel. So this came out during the leak, the leaked ruling that then later over the weekend, 
on a Friday, on a Friday, it's it's out that, oh, this is the decision. A Friday, a Friday morning news dump. And it got me thinking, this is a magic trick. Yeah, it's a magic trick. Let's look at it. Sleight of hand, right? Do they have a, a picture of the sleight of hand with the balls, the metal balls? Let's see if they have a picture of that. Because I believe that's what we're playing here. Yeah, where are they at? There they are. Now, where is it? There it is. I just want to see this picture. See that gentleman here? One of these is the Supreme Court, judicial, executive. What was the other one? Legislative. You saw that? You see those balls? These are the three branches of government. This is, this is, here's your analogy. I didn't need the analogy to set the foundation. Here's your analogy. I think they're playing a magic trick. Because on Verify, it says, well, if this does come out, can Congress overrule it? Well, yeah. Well, then who can overrule Congress if they do that? Supreme Court. <laughs> and how does Supreme Court get there? Oh, the executive. Okay, so they're appointed by the executive branch, which has to be approved by the Senate. Where's Senate at? The Senate. There it is. So, <laughs> follow me here. In order to get on the Supreme Court, you would have to be a, nominated by the president, the executive, right? And then it will go to the Senate to be voted on. If they confirm, it will go back to the president, where then he or she would then say, then, then officially appoint you to the Supreme Court. The decisions that you make in the Supreme Court can then also be overturned back over here on the legislative. There's no one see side of hand going on here. Supposedly, these three branches of government are supposed to keep everybody's checks and balances. But what I see, based off of my experience, is a magic trick. So they can overturn Roe v. Wade, but Congress has the power to change that, but they may not change it because it can then be overruled by the Supreme Court. So basically, all I'm seeing is this. I'm seeing movements and movements and movements, and now the question is, who do we point at? Who has the responsibility? Who should we be speaking with? Well, if Congress has the power to overturn the decision, why is no one calling out Congress? And then it led me to this. And I'm not, I promise, this is one of those episodes where I don't have to do a whole bunch. I really didn't have to say much on this episode. Look what came out a few days before the decision by moneywise.com. 
the 25 wealthiest members of the U.S. Congress. I did not write this report. I'm sorry, I did not write this article. I do not own MoneyWise. Maybe I should. Maybe I should have access to this. So, guy, if you want me to have access to MoneyWise and oversee MoneyWise, let me know. But they came out with an article on June 21st. Today, it is June 27th. Let's look at the handy dandy calculator. June 21st was last Tuesday. Do we see that? Last Tuesday. The decision came out on Friday. Nobody talked about this article on Tuesday. Matter of fact, I didn't even see it until Wednesday or Thursday. And I thought it was interesting that this article had came out. And I had no idea why. Like, this is weird. I said, well, let's keep that in the tuck. Let's just put it in our back pocket. The 25 wealthiest members of U.S. Congress by Money Wives. Hmm. And then Friday, a Supreme Court decision comes out that we knew was leaked back in May. Hmm. Who leaked it? Who would leak a Supreme Court decision? And who's putting this information out against the wealthiest people in Congress? Is there something in this article that we need to know about? Hmm. I'm sensing some sleight of hand. Now, here's the fun part for my Black equity listeners, long-time Black equity listeners. You know, I have not read this article yet. I saved it just. I saved it just for the podcast. Because I I want to discover it with you. Some things I do look at before. I mean, you got to prepare for the episode. I have not pressed this button. And I am ready to look at the 25 wealthiest members of Congress and where they got their wealth. Will there be anything in this? Let's see. Let's see. Start slideshow. Here we go. Slide of hand. Number 24, Representative Sarah Jacobs, net worth $21 million. elected to Congress in 2021. Jacobs is a Democrat member of Congress representing California. Before being elected to Congress, she founded Every Child, a nonprofit aimed at ending child poverty in San Diego County in 2018. Prior to that, she was a scholar in residence at the Joan B. Crock School of Peace Studies at the University of San Diego and founding CEO of Project Connect. She's the granddaughter of Erwin M. Jacobs, the co-founder of Qualcomm, a world leader in wireless technology with a stock price of around $156 per share as of March 9th, of which she owns $6 million worth. Qualcomm is also her biggest campaign contributor at around $27,400 over her career as a Congress member. Over top, other top contributors are Jacobs Investment Company, JMI Realty, the University of California, uh, and Libros LTD. She has raised a total of $11 million as of December 31st, 2021. Jacobs also has more than $100,000 invested in Apple, Microsoft, and MasterCard stock. So what stands out to me here? CEO of Project Connect. Well, what is that? And why is she 
and, and no one notices that she's founded Every Child, a nonprofit aimed at ending child poverty in San Diego. And we're talking about abortion. I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I think in context, we need to look at what's going on here. Paste, Project Connect. What is this? Project Connect aims to to map real-time connectivity to every school in the world. Project Connect aims to map real-time connectivity to every school in the world. This will serve as a foundation to work with governments and service providers, connect every school to the internet. I think there's a magic trick going on. I really do. Let's continue. That's just the first person. I haven't even gone past the first person. Next. Uh, Representative John Rose, 23 million. Republican representative for Tennessee's 6th Congress District. Before joining Congress, Rose mainly studied and worked in agriculture, co-founder of Transcender Corporation, which earned five consecutive Music City Future 50 awards and was sold in November 2000 to Information Holdings, now Kaplan Incorporated. Along with me in Congress member, he's the owner and president of Bolson Software, training IT professionals across the country. The company generates $2.6 million in annual sales. Over the course of his political career, Rose's campaign has raised uh, $4.8 million. The large contributors come from Cash Express, Majority Committee PAC, Leadership PAC affiliated with Kevin McCarthy, ServPro Industries, Core Civic, and the American Bankers Association. Rose owns at least $500,000 stock of Citizens Bank and more than 100000 Alphabet stock. He also reported to own Rose Farm, which is worth between five to $25 million which is a huge, huge gap. Is it five or 25? I mean, which one? But anyway, so what stands out here? Along with a congressman, he's the owner and president of Bolson Software, training IT professionals across the country. Well, I just, I just want to know a little bit. I just want to know a little bit. I just want to know a little bit about this I, I deserve to know. I deserve to know. I deserve to know what's going on with our Congress. I'm just saying, Boston Network Simulator IT practice exams. Okay, let's see. They forced my hand. They wanted to play a magic trick. And so I am going to take the article third party and read it. Okay, Bolson IT certification training. Outstanding standalone learning tools, courseware, instructor-led, practice exams, NetSim, certifications, ethical hacking, Microsoft, practice labs, video, support. Where is their thing that says, hey, this is who we are? There they are. Okay. Boston is a privately held company specializing in providing robust examination preparation materials used for individuals, businesses, academics, academic institutions, okay, and government entities. Okay, all right. 
when they say academic institutions, which how, which ones? I like to know more information. Academic practice exams. There's something there. Company info, organization, resellers, employee training, student training. What kind of students? Academic institutions and training centers face the daunting twofold challenge of training students quickly while ensuring that those students acquire the skills necessary for career success. We're confident that NetSim uh, similar and XSIM Max practice exam products will help you meet your goals. So NetSim, there's NetSim. Well, isn't that something? Let's look at NetSim. Huh, $179. I wonder what type of academic institutions that they focus on. Hmm. Interesting. Next. All right. Next on our list. Representative Fred Upton. Uh, net worth 24.6 million, excuse me. First elected to Congress in 1986, Fred Upton is the Republican representative for Southwest Michigan, 6th Congressional District. Before joining Congress, Upton worked under President Ronald Reagan in the Office of Management and Budget. He is a grandson of Louis Upton, founder of the Whirlpool Corporation, a company with a stock value of $196.40. Upton holds at least one million of stock in Whirlpool, which the company is also one of the biggest campaign donors. Some of his other largest donors have been the National Association of Broadcasters, the Ford Mortar Company, Comcast, and AT&T. Over the course of his more than three-decade-long political career, he raised about $29.7 million in campaign committee funds. Upton is also reported to hold at least $1 million in Pepsi stock, with other notable holdings, including Apple, Raytheon, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, and Texas Instruments. Okay, okay. Well, $1 million in stock in Whirlpool? That's good to know. Next. This is this is very interesting that this article came out just a few days, just a few days before the Supreme Court decision. And most people would say, well, that has nothing, Supreme Court has nothing to do with Congress. <laughs> That's if you're not paying attention to the magic trick. <laughs> oh, don't you just love sleight of hand? All right, Dean Phillips. $24.7 million for, for joining Congress in 2019, Democrat, Minnesota, 3rd Congressional District. Before Congress, Phillips worked for his family business of Phillips Distilling Company, which generates $2.6 million in annual sales. He also helped build Telinto Gelato, one of the top-selling ice cream brands in the country, and is a co-owner of Penny's Coffee, a small Minnesota coffee chain. Over the course of his political career, he has raised over $9.6 million in campaign committee funds. His largest donors have been Heartland Realty Investors, his MBA alma mater of University of Minnesota, and United Health Group, and Democracy Engine. When he joined Congress, he reported around $2 million in liabilities in the form of mortgages. In July, Phillips said his assets in a qualified blind trust approved by the House Committee on Ethics. This means he will not have to control have control over them while he is a member of Congress. Don't miss. Means are struggling to crawl. Okay. All right. So we'll go to the next person. Representative Kevin Herm. Elected to Congress in 2018. Kevin Herm is the Republican representative of the first congressional district in Oklahoma. 
Before Congress, Herman made his living buying and selling McDonald's franchises. For, for 13 years, he served on the company's national leadership team that represented over 3,500 U.S. franchises. McDonald's Corporation also is the biggest campaign contributor. Throughout his political career, accounting for a total of 170000 of the $4 million he's raised in campaign committee funds. Some of his other big, big campaign contributors include Aon, Coke, uh, Coke, I'm not sure how they pronounce that, Coke Industries, Williams Companies and American Bakers Association. Hearn's wealth has been distributed between himself and his family through IRAs and trusts, containing mutual funds, stocks, and electronic funds. In terms of stocks, he and his family own more than $250,000 worth of Amazon, around $100,000 in Alphabet, and more than $500,000 in Microsoft. In 2021, Hearn violated the Stock Act when he failed to disclose trades worth between $1.06 and $2.7 million, according to Business Insider. Who is putting this article out? I mean, obviously, it's a guy by the name of Chris Middleton. But why would they put this out? Why would they do this days before a Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade? Oh, the sleight of hand. The sleight of hand. Kathy Manning. 27.2 million elected to Congress in 2021. Kathy Manning is a Democratic representative of North Carolina's 6th Congressional District. After working as a partner in a major law firm for 15 years, Manning started her immigration law firm. She also worked for several nonprofits for a number of causes, including expanding access to early childhood education, college scholarships, and workforce development. Over the course of her political career, Manning has raised around seven million in campaign committee funds. Some of her biggest donors include Emily's List, Ameripac, the Fund for Greater America, Democracy Engine, Duke University, and Samet Corporation. Manning's wealth consists of government securities, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, real estates, and stocks. The stock owned between her and her spouse include major companies like Alphabet, Apple, Starbucks, Disney, Microsoft, Nike, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. Pfizer. Johnson and Johnson. She also has an ownership stake in Stonefield Cellars Winery in North Carolina. Hmm. Interesting. Slight of hand. Uh, Representative Don Beyer, $29.8 million is his net worth. First elected to Congress in 2014, Don Byer is serving his fourth term as a Democratic representative for Vir- Virginia's 8th Congressional District. Before entering politics, Byer got his start at a Volvo dealership. His father purchased in the early 1970s, which they grew into a massive auto group that spans across northern Virginia. He was previously lieutenant governor of Virginia from 1990 to 1998, ambassador to Switzerland and Lutz under President Obama. Over the course of his career as a congressional member, he raised a total of approximately $9.4 million in campaign committee funds. Some of the biggest contributors have been Akeem, Gump, Northrop, Gorman, L3 Harris Technologies, Carfax, and Deloitte. Buyers' wealthy wealth mostly consists of stocks, government securities, and real estate. He reported around $8.6 million in liabilities, most of which represent mortgages on his owned properties. (laughs) 
next on our list. Representative David Trone, net worth, 32.9 million. David Trone is a Democratic representative of Maryland's 6th Congressional District. Before entering politics, Trone owned Total Wine and more. The business was valued at around $3 billion back in 2017. His business has also been investigated multiple times over years in Pennsylvania for unsavory business practices like undercutting small businesses by offering unlawful discounts, where charges were later dismissed. Who would be putting this out a few days before a Supreme Court decision? A Supreme Court decision that they already leaked. They knew it was coming. Hmm. Like, who just randomly writes this article? <laughs> you gotta follow me. You gotta catch up here. Why would this article be? Trone initially ran for 8th District back in 2017, but was unsuccessful after spending $13.4 million of his personal money on his campaign. Before he ran as a Democrat, he had contributed more than $150,000 to the Republican Party. Over the course of his career running for Congress, he has raised around $35 million for his campaign. Some of the biggest contributors, Allied Beverage Group, Tower Companies, EJF Capital, Mexter Group, Coakley Williams, Construction. Trone's wealth is spread out between the mutual funds, exchange, Trade group, um, trade funds, and his ownership of Total Wine and more. His wife, June, independently owns stock in several companies, including Alphabet, Apple, and Pepsi. Ooh, next on our list, number 16, it says Representative Jay Obernot, net worth $39.2 million, still in his first term of Congress. He represents California's 8th Congressional District. Before joining Congress, Obernott founded Far Far Sight Studios in 1988, a video game development company with a focus on family-friendly arcade games. Their most notable games to date have been a pinball game in the NCAA College Football Series for EA. He also he also he was also mayor of, of Big Bear Lake. He is also a certified flight instructor and served on Big Bear City Airport District Board. Over the course of his congressional career, Obernott was raised has raised two point two million in campaign committee funds. Some of the biggest contributors include Eagle Creek Aviation, Eagle Creek Aviation, Eye of the Tiger Pack, Majority Committee, MGR Property Management, and National Associator of Realtors. Most of Obernott's wealth comes from his ownership in Far Sight Studios. He reportedly has several investments worth means in Vanguard Tax Management Mutual Funds. I want to know a little bit more about Far Sight Studios. Just gonna put it in the search bar. That's all I'm going to do. I believe it's a public, it's a company that's publicized. So I should be able to look it up, right? I'm an independent developer and publisher of multifamily video games. He develops our, fir- our first game for Nintendo Entertainment Systems. Well, isn't this something? PS4, Xbox, Farside Studios. Hmm. Interesting. Farside Studios. No black people. There's no black equity here. Hmm. Interesting, I might add. Very interesting. We're passionate about developing games. Hmm. Pool, bowling, 
interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Hmm. Pinball arcade. Hmm. Hmm. Beach party for kids. Huh. Kids. Huh. Backyard baseball. Hmm. Backyard football. Very, very hotel for dogs. Scarface. Scarface for PS3. Wow, it's quite quite the catch. Oh, something for little girls. Ah, GB, interactive friend that lives in your TV. All right, we shall continue. See, if you don't, if you get too caught up. <laughs> If you get too caught up in the outrage, you'll miss sleight of hand. Net worth of Representative Scott Peters, $39.7 million. California's 52nd Congressional District. Spent 15 years as an environmental lawyer. Was elected in San Diego City Council. Over the course of his time in Congress, Peter has raised... 18 million. Some of the biggest donors include University of California, Qualcomm, we saw them earlier, Robbins Geller, Cox Enterprises, and J Street Pack. One of the biggest industries to contribute to his campaign is the pharmaceutical industry. At around 900,000, Peters was criticized for his flood of funds after he flipped on House Nancy Pelosi's drug private pricing bill. Peter's money is mainly government securities, but he and his wife, Lynn, also have investments in a number of mutual funds. Gorgas is also the president and CEO of the private equity firm Cameron Holdings, which has an estimated revenue of $275 million. Uh Uh-huh. Cameron Holdings, you said, right? Let's look it up. $275 million, you said. Let's get in frequency. Let's see what's going on in Cameron Holdings. Family office investor. Well, isn't that something? Hmm. Investment criteria. Sectors, manufacturing, industrial, value add, distribution, revenues, $15 million and up, EBITDA, majority ownership, control investments. Hmm. Company headquartered in the U.S., considered cross-border transactions and and for add-ons. This company has holdings of $275 million at the time of the article. Just saying. And we talked about owning your own private equity firm a couple episodes ago. Uh, hopefully you remember that. Oh, here's some of the companies. Multipack Solutions, SNR. Oh, here we go. Selected Pass Investments, Henderson Enterprises, Glado Tools, Cloud Packaging, USA Tank, Boats, Play Power. What's this? Fully integrated manufacturer of commercial playground equipment and floating dock systems. Illinois Coil Springs Company, Rubber, Decorator of Promotional Premium Advertising Specialties, Suburban Plastics, Golf Club Shafts. Okay. All right. All right. I see you, man. Manufacturer of audio and video interfacing cables. Hey, makes sense. 275 million. Makes sense to me. I get it. 
It's a great strategic move. Let's keep going. You can learn a lot. You can learn a lot by looking into these people. Now, there's a noticeable face. Here is a noticeable face you may know. Nancy Pelosi. Let's see what she's got going on. Net worth, 46.1 million. Joining Congress back in 1988, Nancy Pelosi is currently a Democratic representative for California's 12th Congressional District. Over the course of her long career in Congress, she has raised around 65 million. Some of her top campaign contributors are the University of California, Sheet Metal, Air, Rail and Transportation Union, American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, Gallo Winery, and Wells Fargo. Pelosi owns stocks with her husband, who reportedly has holdings in corporations like Slack, Tesla, Visa, Salesforce, PayPal, Alphabet, Facebook, and Netflix. Most of her wealth comes from real estate, as she owns several commercial properties for both apartments and office spaces and several vacation homes. She also has some of her money invested in mutual funds. Between all of her properties in California and Washington, D.C., Pelosi has reported around $20 million in liabilities. You know, there's this weird show that comes on TV. Anybody seen it? I think it's like uh, one of those Diddy networks. It's called Asset Over Liabilities. Right? You, you seen that? Everybody's telling you they have a lot of liabilities for a reason. It's not about asset over liabilities. It's about what the liability is and what the asset is. That matters. Let's go deeper. Representative Susan Delbeam, uh, net worth $52.1 million. First sworn in in 2002, Washington's first congressional district. Before joining Congress, Del Bean worked for Microsoft for 12 years, most recently as a corporate vice president of the company's mobile communications business. She initially ran for 8th congressional district in 2010, but lost to Republican incumbent Dave Reichert after pouring a total of $4 billion to her campaign. Throughout her congressional career, Del Bean has raised around $18 million in campaign committee funds. Her top contributors come from her former employee, Microsoft, University of Washington, Amazon, New Democrat Coalition, and Puget Sound Energy. She also reportedly still has around 1.1 million work of shares in Microsoft split between her and her husband. Dale Bean's money is distributed between her mutual funds, exchange, traded funds, and real estate funds. She also suspected of violating Stock Act in late 2021 when she improperly disclosed her husband's massive Microsoft Microsoft stock sale days before he was nominated to an administrative post by President Biden. One could argue that if Congress had the ability to overturn something, an article like this may cause them not to do it. Don't you just love Black Equity Podcasts? Who else is going to give you this? You know why a lot of people are not going to give you this game? You know why a lot of people are not going to just say, hey, here's what's going on? Because they're involved in all this stuff too. Come on. And there's actually some really good things you can pick from this and say, oh, well, I need to get into some... I mean, there's some stuff. We're not going to get into that today because what I want to show you is a sleight of hand. All right. We're almost, we're almost done. I just wanted to show you this article and you can read it for yourself. 
I'm going to put it in the show notes. I don't think you'll block me for this. Now, these people may find out about it and they may contact me. And when they do, I'm going to say, hey, that $275 million private equity fund, yo, what's good, man? Come on the podcast. Show us how you got that. Sit down with us. <laughs> right? I'm not mad at people for having money. I'm not mad at people for having wealth. But I do think there is something going on with this article days before the Supreme Court decision that, by the way, Congress could overturn if they chose to. I feel like there's a sleight of hand going on. And nobody else is going to call it out. Net worth $60.5 million elected to Congress in 2020. Peter Miger is a Republican representative from Michigan's third congressional. Born into the Miger Superstore dynasty that generates over $18 billion in annual sales. He's one of the few members in his family that have never worked for the company outside of stocking shelves. Miger served in the Army Reserve for eight years where he has deployed to Iraq from 2010 to 2011. He, spent, he went on to work as a conflict analyst for a humanitarian organization in 2013 to 2015 and worked as an analyst at Olympia Development of Michigan. His campaign committee funds throughout his short congressional career has accumulated $4.5 million. Some of the top contributors have been the RDV Corporation, his family company, Miser, Amway, the Edwards C. Levy Company, and PVS Chemicals. Myers' money is held in a generation skipping trust that contains several assets, including stock and Johnson and Johnson Home Depot, Tesla and Visa. He also reported having around 1.9 million in liabilities. Generation skipping trust. Well, isn't that something? You learn something new every day. Here's what I want you to do. It's a secret. Anytime you see the word bonds and trust and government securities, Research them for yourself. You see this thing? Generation skipping trust. Go look it up. Go. Go look it up for yourself and see if it's something that you would be interested in. If they're playing in this game, you could play your own game. But shh, you didn't hear from me. All right, next is Representative Roger Williams. Net worth $67.4 million. First elected to Congress in 2012, Roger Williams is a Republican representative for Texas 25th Congressional District. Before his con- congressional career, he was a minor league baseball player drafted in Atlanta Braves. He also served as a regional finance chairman for Governor Bush in 1994 and went on to be the North Texas chairman for the Bush-Cheney 2000 campaign. He also appointed, was appointed to Governor Rick Perry, Secretary of State in 2004. Over the course of his career in Congress, Williams has raised around $13 million in campaign committee funds. Some of his top campaign contributors come from Lockheed Martin, Berkshire Hathaway, Martin, Spocket, and Gear, Pearson and Patterson, Bass, Brothers Enterprises. Some of Williams' wealth comes from his portfolio of mutual funds, select stocks, and real estate. A lot of it comes from his ownership of several car dealerships in Texas and reported at stake in two aircraft leasing companies. He reported around $4 million in liabilities and recently violated the Stock Act <laughs> when he didn't properly disclose three stock transactions made by his wife, according to Business Insider. Why would they be putting this out days before one of the biggest Supreme Court decisions ever? 
Just me. Just me seeing a sleight of hand. Am I reaching here? I didn't put this article out. I didn't see sleight of hand is all about timing. Why would the Supreme Court do it on a Friday? Why would they leak it a month and a half before? Uh, We're almost done. All right. Representative Doris Matsui. 73.8 million. See, we're doing a big jump. We're in the top 10 now. So now we're getting into the real, the real money, right? 73.8 million, Democratic representative for California's 6th District. Before her career as a congressperson, she served as one of the eight members of President Bill Clinton's transition board, later as deputy assistant to the president in the White House Office of Public Liaison. She also chairwoman of the board for KVIE Public Television Station in Sacramento. Over the course of her congressional career, Matsui has raised approximately $9.6 million in campaign committee financing. Nothing wrong there. I just wanted to grab my drink. Some of her top campaign contributors are Kelly, Dry, and Warren, publishers, pipe fitters, Union Local 447, the National Association of Realtors, the National Association of Convenience Stores, the Society of Independent Gasoline Marketers, Matsui husband Roger Sant is a founder of the Fortune 500 holding company AES AES Corporation which specializes in electricity generation and distribution her funds are spread out amongst her exchange traded funds, money market funds limited liability companies and trust ooh boy Representative Trey Hollingsworth, 74.6 million, first elected to Congress in 2016. Trey Hollingsworth is, Trey Hollingsworth is a Republican representative for Indiana's 9th Congressional De- District. Before entering Congress, he was a businessman who started Hollingsworth Capital Partners, which was his father based in Tennessee, where they built and marketed industrial facilities in over 17 states. This company was recognized as one of 2007's fastest growing private companies in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine. When he was 15, Hollingsworth was featured in a Washington article titled How I Got Rich on Summer Vacation, which mentioned he launched a successful internet startup in addition to a school life. His congressional career was kicked off using $1.5 million of his own money and 500000 of his father's. He was cumulatively raised around $6 million. Some of his biggest donors come from Ernest & Young, New York Life, American Bankers Association, and the National Beer Wholesalers Association Ally Financial. So before we get into these final eight people or so, it's not just, hey, we're going to look at these people and see if they have anything to do with abortion rights. It's also, are they being silenced in any way? Or is, is, is unsavory information coming out about them that would stop them from doing the Roe versus Wade uh, reversal? And then who would be doing that? Who, who, who wouldn't want the Congress to... to overturns the Supreme Court. And who owns money-wise? Who owns money-wise? Oh, man. I tell you, man. I tell you. Wise 
Publishing is a digital personal finance publishing company. They have 7 million monthly unique readers and are committed to helping them navigate complex and everyday topics. Tabaloo.com. Who owns it? Wise Publishing. Okay. So who owns Wise Publishing? Oh, there it is. Kyle Tratner. Half-banked and fresh and fun and provides his audience with valuable information uh, for starting down a financial journey, said Kyle Tratner, Wise Publishing CEO. The brand fits perfectly for our mission to help people make good decisions and get ahead. So how does this article help people make good decisions and get ahead? Kyle Tratner, you said, right? Hmm. I tell you, boy, I tell you. Only on Black Equity Podcast will they sit down and go the opposite way of the Roe versus Wade conversation. Only here. Kyle Trattner, executive executive officer, Wise Publishing Company. He has a $10 million blog. Crunchbase. Location, Toronto, Canada. Hmm. Okay, Kyle. You and I will be talking soon. Next, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Senator in Connecticut. After graduating Yale, Blumenthal enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. After law school, he was a clerk. Supreme Court Justice Clerk for for U.S. District Judge John Newman and Supreme Court Justice Harry A. Blackman. He went on to serve five years as Connecticut's Attorney General. Over the course of his congressional career, he has raised approximately $23.6 million in campaign funds. Some of his top campaign contributors come from his alma mater, Yale, Charter Communications, Altice USA, Bell for Management, Koskov, Koskov, and Bider. Most of Blumenthal's wealth was held by his wife, Cynthia Walkman, who reportedly has millions of dollars in various hedge funds, stocks, and real estate. Her father is Peter L. Malkin, the chairman and merchant of Empire State Realty Trust and the chairman of Malkin Holdings. This is just so much. Let's keep going. Let's go. We'll, just, we'll finish it off, and then I'll give my commentary at the end. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is a Republican representative of Utah. Before his career in politics, Romney was a successful investment consultant. Spent 20 years with the Boston-based consulting firm Bain and Company. During his time there, he gained a multi-million dollar fortune. Romney, also uh, governor of Massachusetts, and made two unsuccessful presidential runs in 2008 and 2012. Over the course of his political career, he has raised around $610 million in campaign committee funds. Some of his top contributors come from big banks and investment firms like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. Some of Romney's fortune was gained during his time at Bain, but Romney's wife, Anne, also has an extensive portfolio, including means of private equity and hedge fund investments. In total, he's reported around $4.5 million in liabilities from his wife. Senator Mark Warren first elected U.S. Senate in 2008. There have been multiple pundits over the years that have talked about him being a potential vice president nomination once in 2006 and 2008, but he has debunked any such talk. 
Over the course of his entire political career, he has raised over $60 million. Some of his top campaign contributors include Dominion, I'm not sure if it's Dominion, Energy, Ulterior Group, J.P. Morgan Chase, Norfolk Southern, Covington, and Berlin. The bulk of Warner's wealth comes from his time running the venture capital firm, Columbia Capital. He also ran the Capital Cellular Corporation, which focused on the wireless industry. He made $150 million over 10 years with these ventures. Most of Warner's wealth is now split amongst his mutual funds, private equity funds, and hedge funds. Senator Dianne Feinstein, she's a familiar name out there. After becoming a senator, she served on the California's Women's Board of Terms, Parole, Chaired, San Francisco Advisory Committee, and Adult Detention. After two, two unsuccessful bids for mayor of San Francisco, she succeeded in the position after assassinations of George Moscon and Harvey Milk. Feinstein served as mayor until 1988 after, to start her congressional career. Over her decades-long career in the Senate, she raised around $71.2 million in campaign committee funds. Some of her top campaign contributors come from PG&E, Edison International, University of California, Emily's List, and Walt Disney's company. Emily's List. What is that? Anyone? Emily's List relies on support from people like you to elect Democratic pro-choice women. Donate to help Democratic pro-choice women who will fight for reproductive freedom. Now, oh boy, I, I, I haven't really studied this, but what does pro-choice mean again? Is pro-choice for Roe v. Wade? Is it not? I, I don't know. So let's, if you don't know something, Look it up and do your own research. What does pro-choice mean? Is pro-choice, what, what side would that be on? Yeah, pro-choice meaning advocating for legalized abortion. And Roe versus Wade would go against that? Roe versus Wade would be against pro-choice? I think I'm hearing that right in my mind. If I'm wrong, someone let me know. I, do, I don't know. There's all these terms going on. So this Feinstein lady supposedly gets a lot of her campaign contributions from Walt Disney World and Emily's List. Emily's List is about pro-choice. And pro-choice is advocating legalize abortion. So they want legalized abortion. So Roe versus Wade has taken off the federal mandate where people can have legalized abortions. If I'm understanding that correctly, maybe I should look that up. What does it mean? Roe versus Wade was a landmark decision in the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States generally protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion. So by overturning that, women are upset. People are upset, not just women. We don't have the choice anymore to have the abortion if we want to. I'm not giving any, I'm just making sure I understand 
If she's getting money from Emily's list, what does that mean? Most of Feinstein's money is through her husband, Richard Bloom, the president and chairman of the private equity firm, Bloom Capital. Feinstein herself has reported around $1 million in a deposit account. She also holds approximately $25 million in a blind trust. Next on the list, Representative Vern Buchanan. $113 million, Florida's 16th Congressional District. Before joining Congress, Buchanan was a partner of American Speedy Printing Center, helping them grow to almost 750 stores. After selling the company in 1989, he came down to Florida to start in the auto business. His five dealerships made around $756 million in sales in 2004. Over the course of his political career, Buchanan has raised approximately $27 million. Some of his biggest contributors include Benerson Development, Florida Cancer Specialists, Public Supermarkets, Bills, Next Era Energy. The majority of Buchanan's money comes from his car dealerships and his ownership in a live, limited liability company named Aircraft Holdings and Leasing, valued between $25 and $50 million. He reported around $14 million in liabilities, including loans for a plane and a yacht, which are connected with his LLC. Next on the list, Representative Daryl Issa. Before joining Congress, Issa enlisted in the Army, and when he was in high school, he went to graduate from Siena Heights University with a degree in business. He was the CEO of a California-based electronics company, which became the country's lead manufacturer of anti-theft auto technology called Steel Stopper. He also served as a chairman of the Consumer Electronics Association. Over the course of his political career, Isra has raised around $39 million. Some of his top contributors come from Lido's Incorporated, AT&T, Google, the National Beer Wholesalers Association, and Microsoft Corporation. Isra's wealth comes from his time working in the electronics industry with no reported ownership of any individual stocks. He mainly invests in diversified stock funds and properly split between California and Ohio. He's reportedly... He's reported to have one liability of a margin account holding over $50 million. What is a margin account? Real quick. Because these people out here are telling me that it's assets over liabilities, but this entire article is telling me the power of a liability. A margin account is a type of brokerage account in which your broker dealer lends you cash using the account as collateral to purchase securities known as margin securities. Brokerage firms may allow you to have both a margin account and a cash account at the same time. And he's $50 million of that, all right? Asset over liabilities, though, right? You got to know the game before you talk about it. Representative Mike McGall. $128 $128 million first elected to Congress in 2004. Michael McCall is a Republican representative for Texas 10th Congressional District. Before Congress, he worked as a chief of counterterrorism and national security in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Western District of Texas, he, also, uh, he was also Texas uh, Deputy Attorney General and served as a federal prosecutor for the Department of Justice's Public Integrity Section in Washington, D.C. Over the course of his political career, he has raised around $18.8 million in campaign committee funds. Some of the biggest campaign contributors have come from 
iHeart Communications. I know some people that uh, make some money from them. Dell Technologies, iHeart Media, AT&T, and Deloitte. Who is this guy? Michael McGall. Where is he from? Texas. Okay. iHeart Media said, okay. While reported to the second richest person in Congress, none of his assets are solely his. Instead, a big portion of his wealth comes from his wife, Linda McGall, who is the daughter of the founder of iHeart Radio. They both own means of liability companies and iShare funds. iShare funds. What is that? One of the biggest single stock investments in Netflix. What is an iShare fund? Oh, boy. iShare funds. Oh, boy. What is an iShare fund? iShare is a collection of exchange-traded funds managed by BlackRock, which acquired the brand and business from Barclays. The first iShare ETS were known as World Equity Benchmark Shares, but have since been rebranded. Okay. He's the second wealthiest person in Congress. And number one, number one, Rick Scott's 200, $200 million net worth. See, the thing with net worth, what's the definition of net worth? Oh, man. Oh, it's just. Net worth is the value of assets a person's corporation owns minus liabilities they owe. I'm going to finish this one up and then we're going to have a conversation. Oh, boy. Before his political career, Scott joined the Navy where he served active duty as a radar man on the USS Glover. After the Navy, he made his career in the healthcare industry. He is the co-founder of two healthcare companies, Columbia Hospital Corporation, and now uh, HCA Healthcare and Salontic. He was also a venture capitalist, being an early investor in Allegor, a private online healthcare directory for three million in 2005. Over the course of his relatively short political career, he has raised around 88 million in campaign committee funds. Some of his top campaign contributors have come from Club Growth, The Villages, Next Air Extra, Next Air Energy, GEO Group, and Home Depot. Scott has an extensive amount of holdings in stocks, bonds, LLCs, private equity funds, gold trusts, and treasury notes. Oh, boy. Though he also holds very few individual stocks. All right. What is a gold trust? Boy. Oh, I share. It's the I share thing again. Gold ETS operating as trusts are straightforward. The trust holds physical gold and issues shares. Okay. They say it's straightforward, but okay. And there, my friends, my friends, my friends, my friends are the 25. They say it's 25. I'm not sure we really went through 25. I think it was 24. But nonetheless, we went through enough. The 25 wealthiest members of the U.S. Congress a few days before the Supreme Court puts out a decision for Roe versus Wade, there are some of these Congress members. Uh, oh, by the way, how many members of Congress are there? Because we're only looking at 25 or 24. How many members of Congress? Congress has 535 voting members, 435 representatives, and 100 senators. 
So we only looked at 25 of the 535 voting members. There's no telling, no telling the other 510 people what they got their hands in and how it could impact their decision to not overturn the Supreme Court, which could cause a sleight of hand. There's 530-something people over here, 25 of which we just studied, and we saw there's some conflict of interest in some of these things that would stop them from doing anything with the Supreme Court. But everybody right now is Supreme Court, Supreme Court, Supreme Court, Supreme Court, Supreme Court. We got to get them. Supreme, Supreme, Supreme. It's all in the Supreme. We got to go after the Supreme. Supreme. The court is Supreme. Supporting the, the Supreme. Everybody's looking over here. But we found out that Congress could easily overturn that. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they overturn it? Why wouldn't they do that? And did anyone notice that the 25 wealthiest Congress people are all white? Did anyone notice that they all have huge amounts of liabilities, which actually takes their huge amount and makes it look smaller? So when they say they have 24 million in assets, they probably have twice as much as that. The one guy had 50 million in liabilities. 50 million in liabilities. So when you look at someone's net worth, it just doesn't, it doesn't give you the full story because sometimes a liability can be used to your advantage. It can be used to lower things down and make it look like you don't have as much as you do when you know you do. So this whole assets over liabilities argument is flawed. There is a sleight of hand going on here, my friends. And we're so busy looking at the Supreme Court that we're not even paying attention to the people who could over, overturn it, let alone the people who put this person in to the Supreme Court. It's all about sleight of hand. And the key to sleight of hand is this. You have to make people look one way while you do something else over here. That's the name of the game. If I can make you look one way while you're looking that way, you'll never see it coming. You'll miss the entire... Ladies and gentlemen, a classic illusion in the art of magic. Illusion. The cups. Ladies and gentlemen, a classic illusion in the art of magic. The cups and balls. Now, it uses three cups and a little ball, if I can find that. 
The ball is placed underneath one of the three cups. I will mix them around. You have to guess where the ball is. But you see, there are two elements here. Number one, green mat, green ball. That helps me switch it from cup to cup without you noticing it move. Number two, the ball is soft. You can't hear it. So whenever I remove the ball from the cup, you're not sure if it's there or if it's already in my pocket, which it normally is. But you see, I am from Pittsburgh, and in Pittsburgh, of course, uh, when I was a kid, I learned how to do this trick. I didn't know you were supposed to do the trick with a little sponge rubber ball like that. I started doing the trick with something I found in my dad's toolbox. He worked in the steel mills of Pittsburgh, and I found a steel ball bearing. So I would place the steel ball underneath the cup, and it added the element of sound. So when I, I moved the cups around, you could hear it. I would then shift them around and say to my mom and dad, where is the ball? And the smarter of the two knew immediately. That was mom. <laughs> but it was underneath the cup that made the noise, and pretty soon I realized you can't fool anyone with a steel ball in a metal cup because of the element of sound, unless you can cause the sound in the ball to disappear. <laughs> and to travel over here inside the ball, that's what it looked like the first time. I'll do that again. If you watch the ball, take a guess. Steve, which cup do you think it's under? Middle? Absolutely. No matter what you choose, you're a winner. <laughs> three cups, three balls, now we're ready to start the trick. But if you watch the ball right here in my hand, whenever I give it a push, it goes right to the top, balanced on the edge. I'll do that again. This one goes right to the top of two cups. Again, balanced on the edge. However, I want you to know where the balls are. And since I've added the element of sound, I'm going to let you not only see them go under the cups, but if you listen, you'll actually hear Ball number one under cup number one. Ball number two, that stays under cup number two. And ball number three under cup number three. And if I take two of them invisibly, I set them down, I give them a little tap, and now that's gone, that's gone, because now they're all together. In this but you know, it is the end of this trick, and if we were doing this on the streets, this is where I'd win your money. This is where I'd win your money by turning to the tallest guy in the room, and they do that so that everyone can look back and watch his eyeballs. And they say, sir, I'm going to let you win. I'm going to remove one ball from the game. And then they say, sir, I'm really going to let you win. I'll get rid of another ball. And they take a second ball out of the game. And then they set the psychological hook. They say, sir, just for fun, how many balls under the middle? Well, the minute they say just for fun, his ego takes over. And he decides to show the crowd he's very intelligent and he's on to the game. And he'll answer honestly, one. And immediately they say, we have a winner. We, oh, that was just for fun. Bring out your wallet. Make your big bet next time. You're smart. You're on to this game. And what they do is they slip another ball under the cup. Let me explain. You see, they never take the ball out of the game. They never really put it in their pocket. What they do is they slip it under the cup as they lift the cup up. It looks like it was there all the while. But if I really get rid of the ball, sir, just for fun, how many balls under the middle? Uh, one. No, for you, I did all three. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can't do this trick with just three balls. You need an extra one. In fact, there's an extra one right over here. And there's another extra one right over there. Now, they're both pretty big and they're both fairly heavy, but underneath the center cup, is the biggest one of all, because there it, no, that's not it, that's the biggest one. But I can't figure out where it comes from. Thank you.